You're listening to a Mint podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Here's an investment idea. Invest your money at an agreed rate of interest of 8 to 12% for a short tenure of 6 to 12 months. You will get the principal as well as the compounded interest at the end of the tenure. Well, there's more. Your money is not locked in. You can withdraw it whenever you want. Sounds like a bank fixed deposit to me. Well, it's not. This instrument is called P2P or peer-to-peer lending. But in some ways, it does function like traditional banking. In theory, you run the risk of defaults from the borrowers. However, in practice, lending platforms tend to absorb losses that are within their buffer. This helps minimize potential losses and the practice resembles the principles mandated by the Basel 3 capital norms for banks. But wouldn't that create a false sense of security among investors? Well, you're right, it does. P2P lending is not a new alternative investment. But what's interesting is that this product has consistently paid out 9 to 12% to investors for several years without defaults. How has that been made possible? Are there some risks that are going unnoticed? If the model is so strong, does it mean it will replace banks? Well, in today's episode, we will discuss all these questions and more about P2P lending, which can easily be called a shadow bank given its structure. Hi, and welcome back to Why Not Mint Money. I am Shipra Singh, and I'm Akshat Rodhi from Mint's Personal Finance team. So, Akshat, before we get into the nitty gritties, let's start with the basics. What is P2P lending, and how does it work? Welcome to Why Not Mint Money, a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started with your money journey. P2P lending platforms allow you to lend your money to a borrower for an agreed rate. The P2P platform is an aggregator who connects the lenders with the borrowers. However, that's a traditional P2P model that was followed from 2012 to 2017-18 and over the years the structure has evolved to include an interesting mix of borrowers so currently p2p lending mainly happens in two ways one is by directly connecting the investor and the borrower which is a traditional p2p model or disbursing the investor's money through a partner p2b nbfc in the second option the first p2p platform or the sourcing partner that onboards the investor just acts as a technology platform for its p2p nbfc which then lends to its own set of borrowers some of the prominent players including 12% club cred mobiquick and fire follow this mechanism but why involve a second partner at all so the answer to this question lies in the ability of the p2p nbfc to uh, kind of uh, get hold of borrowers as well as investors for platforms like cred by or new banking platforms like jupiter which are already into uh, banking services and fintech the, the there's an ease to attract borrowers as well as lenders which these p2p partner nbfcs utilize in order to uh, kind of get they get these people to their platform right and does involving a second partner impact the returns Yes, it does. For instance, Liquid Loans, Paysent, Lending Club offer 12 to 12.8% returns, whereas Cred, Fi give 9%. 
12 percent club promises up to 12 percent as the name suggests but that's rare eight to nine percent is the range what most lenders actually earn so talking of returns how do these platforms arrive at the returns that are paid to the investors so returns typically range between eight and twelve percent depending upon the performance of the loan portfolio and the prevent uh, and the presence of the NPS. The math is quite simple. The platform charges an IRR of 21 to 25% to the borrowers, of which 3 to 6% is kept as platform fee or their margins, and another 7 to 9% is for maintaining the margin of safety or be uh, referred to as the buffer. The remaining amount is paid to the investor, which comes to about 8 to 12%. These returns are, however, not guaranteed as NPS can impact the actual returns. In practice, defaults are absorbed by the margin of safety. That is, that is about 7 to 9 percent. Oh, but won't this mean that the borrowers are charged upwards of 20 percent if we have to go by this maths? Uh, yes, interest rates charged to the borrowers vary depending on the type of lending. But yes, typically it's, it's above 20 percent. BNPLs, uh, buy now later platforms, and no cost EMIs typically carry MDR, which is the mer- merchant discount rate, or the or you could call it as uh, simply fees, ranging from 10 to 20 percent per transaction, which is paid by the merchants after deducting technology partner commissions. However, the thing to note here is the the cost price or the list price of the item which uh, the consumer is purchasing no cost EMI ha- is kind of increased by this amount. The second thing is business loans, which are taken by entrepreneurs for working capital needs. These also carry higher interest rates in the range of 18 to 30% depending upon their credit profile. Right. Traditional P2P lending can have even higher interest rates spanning from 15 to 40% per annum. Wow, this sounds exactly like how banks lend. Pay 9 to 12% return and lend out money at 20-20% and the difference absorbs defaults. So, how do the NPAs look like right now? Well, Fairsend has the highest gross NPAs of about 9.6% uh, in the month of April, followed by Lane Club at 3.1%. However, interestingly, Liqui Loans, which is the partner P2P NBFC for almost all fintechs like Cred, Bharat Pay, Fi, ET Money, has gross NPAs of about 0.8% in the month of April. It touts a zero net NPA as the gross NPAs are absorbed by the interest rate spread buffer or we refer to as the margin of safety. So all in all, so far none of these platforms has exceeded the buffer despite giving money to high risk borrowers. Wow, that sounds really interesting. This is not to say there aren't any risks in this model. The biggest risk of all is a default risk as the platforms cannot guarantee the loans as per RBI. If the NPAs go beyond the margin, investors may start losing their principal with no collateral or recourse as to how they will cover the losses. In India, some P2P platforms have experienced default rates as high as 10 to 12% in the past, highlighting the importance of assessing default risk before even investing. Money lent through BNPL and no-cost EMI services only adds to the default risk. However, even though P2P lending is kind of regular, is regulated by the by the Reserve Bank of India. There's no insurance or guarantee against loan defaults, unlike a bank that insures deposits of 
up to 5 lakhs as per the di cdc right and if i'm not wrong some countries like china uk and the us they have loan guarantee plans that are offered to investors p2p investors in case of loan default right yeah that's right so apart from this what are the other risks that investors should know uh the platforms that only look at civil or uh, so to say the credit uh, credit score of the borrowers to gauge the credit worthiness run the risk of lending to a very high risk set of borrowers for instance the algorithm may fail to incorporate non linear relationships between predictors or rely on inadequate data sets that overlook critical financial information beyond the credit scores so let's take an example suppose a borrower with a 750 plus civil score wants to take a loan from a p2p player the platform's algorithms would instantly approve the borrower due to his high civil score showing linearity as an assumption right the algorithm may fail to account to take into account a case where the borrower might have exhausted the lending limits at traditional banks and nbfcs and is now coming to a p2p player for a loan at a substantially high rate of interest so this can lead to quite a quite a lot of flawed loan approvals as the algorithms may not consider what's the borrower's current financial situation or what's his transactional behavior in the past couple of months that's right uh, yeah so lastly quoting some experiences of some p2p investors while most platforms offer a premature withdrawal option the money actually takes up to 4 weeks to hit the bank account and this has only accelerated in the past 1 to 2 months after the bharat pay fiasco so so that's that's uh, a major setback for the investors so investors should be prepared that they may not get their money back within 2 days as is promised by these platforms even if they want to withdraw in case of an emergency right So while the p2p investing has worked smoothly so far it does raise some important questions like how are these fintechs allowed to maintain a buffer when the loans are not on their books and listeners should also take note that if things go haywire they will struggle to get the capital back with this we come to the end of today's episode thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week that brings us to the end of today's episode if you would like to know more about this topic or make a suggestion of a personal finance topic that you would like us to cover i can be reached at twitter under the username of shipra singh sorot and on linkedin at shipra singh thank you for tuning in see you in the next episode to stay updated on this podcast follow us at hd smartcast on all the major social media platforms to listen to more such podcasts log on to www.hdsmartcast.com